Uh, I want to share with you something that um, I'm simply entitling, and we get onto the right uh, screen. And just to say welcome to people joining us on Zoom. We've got some that are joining us here today, and it's good to have you with us. Here we go. Okay, let's see if this works. How to avoid spiritual cataracts. Okay. Now, cataract surgery is very common and successful today. Some of you here may have already had it. It effectively restores good sight to thousands of people later on in life. I won't get into too much of the medical side of it, but let me just give you a little overview. When you were young, the lenses in your eyes are usually like clear glass. Perfect. It allows us to see through them and translate what we see through the brain into our understanding. The lens is a small transparent disc inside your eye and cataracts generally develop with age and it's like a clouding of that clear disc within the eye. They're like cloudy patches that begin to form and over time these patches usually become bigger causing blurry vision, misty vision and can eventually cause blindness. Some years ago Janice had a detached retina and she had amazing surgery from a Christian surgeon who actually prayed with us before the surgery. It was really lovely in Southampton General Hospital. He said, I'm going to pray that everything will go well. And he performed some remarkable surgery. It was sight-saving. Janice's sight in that eye was saved through this remarkable surgery to repair a detached retina. But as a byproduct of that surgery... She was told that she would eventually have a cataract, and she did. And she subsequently had surgery to uh, deal with that and to put a new lens in her eye. We are impressed by the remarkable skill of the operations that are now performed on the human eyes. When I had an eye test last year, I was very surprised to be told by the ophthalmologist, I think that's the word, that I was pre-cataract. I thought, oh dear, I said, is that bad news? He says, no, it's nothing to worry about. But basically he was telling me that in time my vision will go a little bit blurry and I won't be able to see so well and I may need to have surgery. Now, have you ever thought about the fact that as Christians we can have spiritual cataracts? That was something I began to think about just recently out of a passage of scripture that Terry happened to mention a few weeks ago that we're going to look at. Because our spiritual vision can become cloudy and we can actually become blinded to the things that God wants us to see. And there's a passage in the Bible in 2 Kings chapter 6 that gives us a really helpful story to understand something about spiritual blindness. In 2 Kings chapter 6, you're forgiven. You know what happens in the House of Commons? If your phone goes off, if an MP's phone goes off, they have to pay 50 pounds to a charity. 
So that's 50 pounds to my marathon run. <laughs> no, you are forgiven. We believe in grace in this church. So you're okay. It's just a warning to the rest of you. All right. <laughs> you're quickly turning your phones on silent now, aren't you? But in 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha, we find, is repeatedly warning Ahab, the king of Israel, of impending attacks by the king of Aram, whose name was Ben-Hadad. Ben-Hadad was the Aramean king, and he had sent this message to the king of Israel. This is what he said in 1 Kings 20, verse 5. I have already demanded that you give me your silver, gold, your wives, and your children, but about this time tomorrow I will send my officials to search your palace and the homes of your officials, and they will take away everything you consider valuable. May the gods strike me and even kill me if there remains enough dust from Samaria to provide a handful for each of my soldiers. That was total intimidation. This king, Ben-Hadad, basically was a bully. And he was able to make these threats because he could actually muster an army of 120,000 soldiers. So he was no pushover. However, God sends the prophet Elisha to warn the king of Israel again and again, and he foils every strategy and every planned attack that King Ben-Hadad came up with. So much so that Ben-Hadad believed that one of his own people was a traitor. And then he is told that Elisha the prophet, the man of God, is actually revealing all of his war plans to the king of Israel. So Ben-Hadad sets out to find Elisha and capture him. Now let's just listen. Rebecca's going to come and read to us from 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through to 17, just so we pick up this story, and then I want to share some things with you. Thank you, Rebecca. ...was at war with Israel, he would confirm his officers and say, we will mobilise our forces at such and such a place. But immediately Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, do not go near that place, for the Arameans are planning to mobilise their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on the alert there. The king of Aram became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, Which of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord king, one of the officers replied. Elisha, prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back. Elisha is in Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses and chariots everywhere. Oh sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed. 
O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Thanks very much, Rebecca. Now, we all have moments like the servant of Elisha when our eyes need to be opened to see what God is doing. Terry said earlier that we're in a battle, and we are. And one of the big battle strategies of the devil is to deceive us. The Bible calls him the deceiver. And if he can deceive us, if he can put up some kind of smoke screen so that we can't understand the plans and purposes of God and see what God wants us to see, he will do it. So what are some of the key principles that will help us avoid spiritual cataracts? I'm going to give you five things this morning that I lift out of this experience of the servant of Elisha and throughout the scriptures. Okay, the first one is that we need to live by faith and not by fear. Elisha was a man of faith. He believed that God could do the impossible and that God could perform all manner of miracles. And when Ben-Hadad came to capture Elisha, the servant was terrified because he got up in the morning and saw horses and chariots and soldiers surrounding the house waiting to kidnap his master. But Elisha's first words were, do not be afraid. Last Sunday, Janice reminded us about the helmet of salvation, it banishes fear. That recording is available if you haven't heard it, if you want to hear it again. It got corrupted, but Janice re-recorded it during the week, and it's now available, I think, through the website, and you can hear her message. Great word about the Helmet of Salvation, part of our Dress for Battle series. You see, faith deals with fear. Now, I'm not talking about natural fear. You know, if you climb up a ladder... Please don't have faith to think that you can jump from the top and it'll be okay. There is a healthy, natural fear that we are born with that faith will not overcome. But our faith in God's truth and in God will enable us to overcome the fear that Satan will put into our hearts and minds time and time and time again. The Bible says every child of God defeats the evils of this world and we achieve this victory through our faith. 1 John 5 verse 4. And Satan is always out to intimidate, to undermine and to fill us with fear. And the thing about fear is that it paralyzes us. Janice reminded us of that last week. Fear will blind you to the reality that God is much bigger than every situation and circumstance that you face. And every time the Bible says, fear not, you will find that something miraculous is about to happen. Faith always conquers fear. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are facing a circumstance at this present time that fills you with fear, I want to tell you, put your faith and trust in God. We were reminded of that this morning with Nancy. The importance of putting our faith and our trust in God in every situation. And if you do that, no matter how difficult and how big it might seem, 
God will deal with that fear and enable you to face whatever it is by faith in him. So that's the first principle that helps us overcome spiritual cataracts. The second is living with the assurance that God is faithful. Living with the assurance of God's faithfulness. Elisha was a man who had complete assurance that God was with him. Now let me just explain something this morning. Insurance is about what might happen. Assurance is about what will happen. Rebecca is an insurance or assurance expert, I'm not sure, probably both. Okay, you insure your car because you might have an accident, it might get stolen, or it might catch fire. Hopefully none of those things will happen, but you insure just in case. You take out life assurance because you are assured that one day you will die. Bit gloomy, but that's essentially the difference. Check it out with Rebecca, she's more of an expert, but that's my simple understanding. The Bible is not a book of insurance, it's a book of assurance. God will assure us as we put our faith and trust in him. And Elisha said to the servant when he got up the next morning, went outside, suddenly saw these chariots and these soldiers and these horsemen. Elisha simply said to him, don't be afraid, there are more with us than there are with them. Now this servant might have thought, my master's really lost it this time, there's only two of us, and there is a vast whole host of warriors outside my house. What does he mean there are more with us than with them? The Bible in the New Testament puts it like this, 1 John 4 verse 4, greater is he that is in you than him that is in the world. One with God is always a majority. If you've got God on your side, you will never lose. Some of you need to believe that. I've just said it and you're looking at me spaced out. That is true. If God is on your side, what does the Bible say in Romans? If God is for us, who, what can ever be against us? And Paul goes on to say, you know, death, trial, famine, sword. He lists a whole lot of things. He says, if God's on your side, you're always a winner. Because we have that assurance of God's faithfulness. Look at what God said to King Solomon in 1 Kings 6, 13. I will live among my people and I will never abandon them. Listen to what Jesus said in John 14, verse 18. I will not abandon you as orphans. Listen to what the scripture says in Hebrews 13, verse 5. I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. When you live with the, with the assurance that God will always be with you by the Holy Spirit, you don't need to fear. I don't need to worry about next week. I don't need to worry about next month or next year. I don't need to panic about COVID, but I behave sensibly and take right precautions but I know that God is with me and he will never abandon me or leave me or forsake me. When you live with that kind of assurance that God will always be with you by his spirit, 
then you will have eyes to see the bigger picture that God wants you to see. Wayne Gruden, the theologian, said, God's faithfulness means that God will always do what he said and will fulfill what he promised. I like that. God's faithfulness means that God will always do what he said and fulfill what he promised. Okay, number three to help us avoid spiritual cataracts. Using God's word as my life satnav. Elisha was a man who intimately knew the word of God and the voice of God. Everything he did was directed by what God said to him. When Janice and I go on a, a long journey, we'll often put the postcode into our satnav. Guess many of you do something similar on your phone. And a rather nice female voice will politely direct us mile after mile after mile. She's very polite. She will say, please take the third exit at the next roundabout. She never says, when I miss it, you're an idiot. I mean, Janice might make some negative comments if I get the wrong turning, but um, this wonderful lady on my sat-nav, she's very patient. And uh, she's very tolerant of my mistakes that I make when I'm driving on occasion. But she is our guide. God's word is designed to be our guide through every eventuality that we face in life. From the moment of birth, the Bible tells us that God will guide us. Listen to what it says in the... Psalm 48, verse 14, the Passion says, This is our God, our great God forever. He will lead us onward until the end, through all time, beyond death, and into eternity. What more would you want? He is my divine satnav. I can never get lost all the time. I'm following God's guidance. Isn't that wonderful? And that's the value of the Word of God. Let me turn you to 2 Timothy 3.16, right towards the end of your Bible. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, I love this. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realise what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. What a brilliant guide we find through the word of God. And as I feast upon the word of God, as I put my trust in the word of God, Terry read this morning from Psalm 119 that I, I, I lie in the dust. I thought this is a bit gloomy, a bit depressive, Terry. I lie in the dust but my hope or my trust is in your word. And I thought, isn't that great? When you're down and out, when you're in the dust, when everything is set against you, God, I can still trust your word to direct me and to make a way out of this where there appears to be no way. I cannot imagine what my life would be like if I made my own way and didn't have any guidance that was greater than my own natural wisdom. It'd be like flying an aeroplane without having a clue what to do. You ever seen these films where the pilot suddenly collapses or has a heart attack? 
and somebody has to take over the controls and hasn't got a clue. And the people down on the, the airport are trying to direct them. You know, you pull this lever and you press that one. And it's great when you're watching it on a film, but just imagine what it's like in real life. Well, to me, that's what life is like without the Word of God. I'd be like an accident going somewhere to happen. The Bible says in Psalm 119, Your Word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. The Message Bible puts it like this, By your words I can see where I'm going. They throw a beam of light on my dark path. Rick Warren says, what is your assurance of salvation? And then he answers, the promise of God's word. If God says it, that settles it. Because God cannot lie. You can trust the promise of God's word. Let God's word be your life satnav. Let it guide you. Let it direct you. Let it be there at every moment and every turn that you make. Number four, to avoid spiritual cataracts, be led by the Spirit. You see, Elisha knew what it was to be led by the Spirit of God. Every miracle he performed must have been clearly directed by the Holy Spirit. For instance, when a guy was chopping down wood and his iron axe head fell off and landed in a river, Elisha says, just chuck a stick in. Playing poo sticks or something like that. Chuck a stick in. And he throws a stick in, and a piece of iron swims to the surface. That is contrary to the law of gravity. He was a man who was directed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must have told him, throw the stick in, and it will rise. When a woman was desperate, she was poor, she'd lost her husband, and she had nothing to eat. She had a few drops of oil at home, and the servant said to her, Elisha said to her, get all the jars and all the bottles, all the containers you can, and just keep pouring. And she suddenly finds she has gallon after gallon after gallon after gallon of oil. That was a miracle that was directed by the Spirit of God. When a very wealthy Syrian king sent his head of the army to the Elisha the prophet because this guy Naaman was a leper and Elisha says to him well if you want to be healed just go wash in the river Jordan guy wasn't really very up for that but eventually he humbled himself and he did it after his seventh dip in the Jordan he comes up and his skin is as clean as a baby you see you don't learn those things by just imagining them this is the leading of God the Holy Spirit Bible says in Romans 8 those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God and Jesus often spoke about the Pharisees who were the religious leaders of the day and he often talked about them that they were blind they spouted a lot of religiosity but there was no reality to what they were saying and Jesus said this in commenting about them. He warned against them. He said, if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into the ditch. There's a lot of blindness in our world. Google will not lead you into God's truth. We search for answers to all manner of things many, many times during the course of a week. But we need to be people who are ultimately led by the Spirit of God not led by the whims of this age. 
When the Holy Spirit leads you, you will not stumble. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Okay, one last thing to help us avoid spiritual cataracts, and it's this. Having vision for the purposes of God. You see, Elisha knew the plan and purpose of God for the people of Israel. He was a man who saw what God saw. And this is what he prayed for his servant. O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. Elisha could see it, but the servant couldn't. The servant had this spiritual blindness, this cloudiness, he couldn't see. And until his eyes were spiritually opened, he suddenly saw the bigger picture and the plan and purpose of God. I think it was Nancy who said this morning, that verse out of Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I've got for you, says God. Do you know what plans God's got for your life? Often we need our spiritual eyes open to see and understand the purposes and the plans that God has got for us. We need to be people who see what God wants us to see. Helen Keller was uh, an American author who lost her sight and hearing when she was 19 months old after an illness. And she was once interviewed and talked about her condition and she was simply asked, is there anything worse than blindness? And she said, yes. The only thing worse than being blind is having sight with no vision. Having sight with no vision. We need eyes to see what God wants to show us for our lives. Let's stand together. Perhaps the music team will come back. I'm just going to pray. And then we'll just have one song as we conclude. Five principles that we need to apply. Whatever you face this week, whatever intimidates you, whatever frightens you, whatever you might be facing at the moment that is a bit scary, put your faith in God. He is with you. Know the assurance of his faithfulness. He says, I will never ever leave you or forsake you. Use God's word, get encouragement, get direction, get comfort, get strength, get inspiration, get wisdom from the word of God. Sense where the spirit of God wants to take you, be led by the spirit of God and have a vision for the purposes of God for your life.